Hi everyone, this is Jim McCarty, welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 50. LL Research is a non-profit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And toward this end has two websites, the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Gary Bean, Director of LL Research, and Austin Bridges, Assistant Director of LL Research, along with myself, husband to the late Carla L. Ruckert, scribe for the Raw Contact and President of LL Research, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. We will be discussing questions that are sent to us from spiritual seekers around the globe. Our replies to these questions are not final or authoritative. Instead, they are generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. We always ask each who listens to exercise his own discernment and listen for her own resonance in determining what is true. If you'd like to submit a question for the show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org forward slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Jim McCarty, and we're embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast in the now. Is everybody present and ready to go? Gary is. Yes, I am. Ah, we have a quorum. All righty, then. We have a question, too. They match. There's balance in all things, which is handy because that's our first question about balance. <laughs> Michael via email. Raw suggests the exercise of balancing opposite emotions. It makes sense for me to balance in both directions, even from the positive emotion to the negative, since it feels as if there's no judgment and any, not any preference expressed, which makes sense to me. But it also feels a little bit strange to balance, say, kindness with anger. I do not think there is a strong creative effect when the charges of any emotion are neutralized. On the other hand, I think one is more free to choose if an emotional charge is neutralized than when it is charged, even positively. The advantage of a positive charge, I feel, is that it is more creative and helps to experience the positive qualities of life. How do you understand the teachings, and what is your opinion about them? Gary, why don't we start with you? Uh, I... Um, tackled Michael's really good question in a couple parts. Um, the first part starting by saying that the balancing exercises have always been a bit confusing for me. Like, why balance patience with impatience? Isn't impatience a distortion of patience? Um, and f moreover, I haven't really used Ra's balancing exercises as they articulate them, you know, uh, accentuating something so much and allowing its antithesis to come into being. Uh, that said, I still have some, I've contemplated the subject and I have some thoughts about the meaning and purpose of balance. Insofar as I can understand the balancing exercises, their function is to help precipitate the understanding that you are a being of unity. And as such, you contain every possibility, every potentiality. If you see one quality manifesting in your experience, balancing helps you to understand that you have the correspondingly opposite quality within you as well, though it may be dormant or latent or unexpressed. In this way, you disidentify with the personality you think you are and identify more and more with all of the creation, realizing that you are not necessarily one particular set of qualities, but you are all 
all qualities. You are all things. You contain all things. Thusly, when conducting the balancing exercises, you A, see firsthand that you literally have within you every quality, and B, as such, you have compassion for yourself and all other selves. Thusly, you can integrate all things, and you can be not so terribly moved, swayed, or disturbed by an experience, but instead free, truly free to respond with a quote-unquote finely tuned compassion, which sees all things as love. That's what Ross said. Part two, I don't think um, the goal of balancing is to be neutral per se, or maybe that word can apply. <clears throat> um, in 42.2, Ross says, the exercise of first experiencing feelings and then consciously discovering their antitheses within the being has as its objective not the smooth flow of feelings, both positive and negative, while remaining unswayed, but rather the objective of becoming unswayed. Uh, the catalyst of experience works in order for do-to-do. The end result is that the catalyst is no longer needed, thus this density is no longer needed. This is not indifference or objectivity, but a finely tuned compassion and love which sees all things as love. This seeing elicits no response due to catalytic reactions. Thus the entity is now able to become co-creator of experiential occurrences. This is the truer, truer balance. So, a um, couple more thoughts for me. The entity who does not have a charged response, but instead emanates love and sees all things as love and does not have the vision blinded by separation and feels unity with all things, such an entity is free from the illusion, um, more or less. The, the entity is not confined by the conceptual barriers of the illusion. Instead, it has returned its consciousness to unity with the creator. It is an awakening from the dream. When you know you are seeing the movement of mirage, illusion, and dream, are you so disturbed or moved by it? Or can you instead witness and offer the most important and fundamental of services, the service of being? the service of being a clear conduit of the creator's limitless light and endless love. So for the personal energy to rise through the chakra system and eventually unite with the energy of intelligent infinity through the crown chakra, the energy system needs balanced. One chakra's distortions cannot be pulling at the energy in a lopsided fashion, or the mind complex cannot be in conflict with the body complex, or the subconscious cannot be in conflict with the conscious mind, and so forth. So the, en the energy needs a clear pathway, and by, quote-unquote, discovering the antithesis, we come to see that we contain all things and can thusly open our heart wide and practice forgiveness and non-judgment and make that pathway wide and clear. But uh, I conclude my thought by reminding uh, Michael and anybody listening that um, I am just a seeker who definitely does not have all the answers. Back to the host. Well, good job, Gary. For somebody who doesn't have all the answers, you supplied a goodly number of them. <laughs> Austin, what have you got to say about this topic of balancing? Uh, to build off of Gary's uh, great answer, um, I also approached Michael's question from a couple different aspects. The first one, uh, sort of what Gary touched on, the idea of positive and negative emotional charges and what might be considered positive and why we want to balance those which I agree uh, with Michael and Gary that that's sort of a confusing aspect but I think that I have a bit of uh, insight into that um, like Gary I can't say for sure I totally fully understood the idea of this balancing exercise but 
uh, taking the quote that Gary used, um, I also thought it was very enlightening, uh, where Ross says um, that balance is not indifference or objectivity, but a finely tuned compassion. Uh, and then they also say within that same quote um, that this seeing elicits no response due to catalytic reactions. So uh, the key to my answer, I think, lies in that idea. Uh, but first off, seeing all things as love seems to me to be a positive thing, uh, but according to that statement, it's uh, instead sort of a balanced or neutral state. Um, so I think that there's a bit of subtlety here in what is considered positive in the sense that it needs to be balanced. Ross says that in seeing all things as love, there is no response due to catalytic reaction. I think that uh, this is where balancing positive and negative charged emotions might come in. And I'll use an example that Ra used, being that of patience and impatience. So let's say that you are put into a trying situation, like you're dealing with an obstinate child or an obstinate adult even, and they are trying their hardest to push your buttons and to test your patience. And you find yourself tested, but you are able to manifest the patience needed to remain calm, and you never break your patience. And you're able to find that you can act lovingly within that situation, despite the other entities uh, most persistent attempts to break you. Uh, but in order for you to recognize that you were patient, you had to meet the friction that tested that patience and essentially um, have that negative charge of impatience somehow uh, manifested within, within you. Um, mm. The patience is no doubt a good thing, especially for the positive entity, but I think that in this scenario, it's still a response due to catalytic reaction. In a sense, the patience was manifested to counteract impatience. That impatience, finding no outlet, is then repressed and uh, sort of sits within the unconscious unrealized. When an emotion such as that remains unconscious, I think that it will play games with our perceptions and we might end up projecting it, or it might come out all in one big tsunami of emotion, or at the very least, it simply sits in our unconscious unrealized without us acknowledging that we, as humans, contain that as an aspect of ourselves. Like. Uh, Gary was saying, we contain all things. We are 360 degree human beings, and I think that the balancing exercise is uh, asking us to simply acknowledge that and recognize that wholeness within ourselves. Upon a truer balance, patience might no longer need manifested in a situation. And that doesn't mean that it is replaced by impatience, but rather simply love. And perhaps mm. in some perception, patience could be observed. Uh, maybe somebody watching you act loving in a situation uh, with a person who is testing your patience thinks, wow, that person has an abundance of patience. But to you, you don't recognize it as patience, which is counterbalancing impatience. It is simply a love reaction that is not defined as anything other than love and it is not a reaction but it is rather just the simply the state that you're in unmoved by this other uh, person 
So uh, that's the aspect of balancing positive emotions that I think that makes sense to me, at least. Um, love being a neutral state rather than a positive state, and then positive states being sort of reactions that uh, are balanced with internal negative states that the balancing exercise is just asking us to acknowledge rather than act out or anything like that. Um, Michael also talks about a creative aspect and I'm not a hundred percent sure what Michael means by um, creative effect or uh, that a positive charge is more creative um, and perhaps Michael is right in that regard imagining in my mind, art or just sort of creative problem solving or things like that. But I think that creativity could uh, likely be expressed equally throughout the entire spectrum. At least uh, creativity is certainly a common attribute of negatively charged emotions. Um, there's plenty of art out there that is expressing and realizing negative aspects and um, that does not come from the positive uh, charge of emotions. But considering the neutral nature of love, I do think that love could be easily expressed creatively from a balanced standpoint. Uh, similar to how a balanced person might be seen to be patient in the situation I was talking about earlier, maybe a balanced creative expression is easily seen as being uh, positively charged. Uh, but instead, it is simply coming from a place of neutral love. Um, and I'm... Uh, I think that it's possible, but also I think thinking about creative things, especially things like art, um, it's important to think about what the purpose of art is, and perhaps a person who is balanced is less likely to uh, have creative expressions like that, but art is here to help us understand the full spectrum of human consciousness, and uh, it is here to help us balance and express these unconscious things that maybe we put away or maybe are just begging for us to address them or um, we just really feel need expressed. And so uh, it might be a good thing that from a neutral state art might not be expressed as easily and art might instead be a expression of the imbalance and that imbalance is not necessarily a bad thing it's sort of what we're here to experience as humans on earth uh, both in positive and negative ways and to sort of fully immerse ourselves in that and come to appreciate it and my final thought being that um, the balancing exercise and knowing what an ideal balanced person looks like is a good thing but I don't think that it should uh, preoccupy our thoughts uh, expressing things creatively uh, is a way to know ourselves better and appreciate the human experience and it's okay to appreciate that creativity without the consideration of balance and simply for the ex uh, the sake of expression or the sake of appreciating uh, what we are here experiencing. Um, balancing can sort of be, I think, a, a tool rather than something that we live our lives by. So those are my thoughts. Uh, how about you, Jim? Good job, Austin. Um... Well, um, let's see, I guess I could start with, uh, I don't think I would balance kindness with anger. I would balance it probably with unkindness or rudeness or brutness. Just want to get that little point out of the way. Um, <laughs> we are all portions of the creator. Um, as Don mentioned in one of the uh, early sessions, that the creator sends out this white light. And that white light 
due to various uh, angles of rotation and speeds of rotation of the photon condenses into what we see as a creation, including us. We all are made of light. Everything's made of light. Our energy centers are made of light. And what we're trying to do here in the third density is begin, or I guess continue our evolutionary process that began in the first density in the second, but we're trying to really put some consciousness on it here and make a choice, be the positive or negative polarity, and then be able to continue on in our journey of attempting to gather again all of the light in the form it was when the Creator first sent it out. We're trying to become one with the Creator. In the process, we learn a whole lot of stuff that doesn't seem like it's part of the Creator. We have preferences as seekers of truth that we want to have certain positive experiences. We want to give love. We want to receive love. We hopefully are wise in helping other people solve problems that they might ask us about. But though we want only to see the best and the highest in each person and each experience in their own lives, we will come in contact with every emotion that exists sometime in our lives, I guarantee you. They're all out there. We will find them in the strangest of places. And so we need to be able to deal with them because, as Gary was pointing out, the energy centers need to be able to transmit the light from the Creator, the intelligent energy that comes from our sun sub-logos will move through the red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and up into the violet. And we'll move through smoothly if we're able to balance ourselves. If we're not able to balance ourselves, then there will be some problems there. So from 4119, I want to read you this uh, second paragraph. Ross says, the key to balance may then be seen in the unstudied, spontaneous, and honest response of entities towards experiences, thus using experience to the utmost, then applying the balancing exercises and achieving the proper attitude for the most purified spectrum of energy center manifestation in violet ray. This is why the brilliance or rotational speed of the energy centers is not considered above the balanced aspect or violet ray manifestation of an entity in regarding harvestability. Now here comes a sentence I think is why we do this, why we balance. For those entities which are unbalanced, especially as to the primary rays, will not be capable of sustaining the impact of the love and the light of intelligent infinity to the extent necessary for harvest. So we need to be able to welcome in this love light of the Creator when it's time for us to be harvested, which apparently is now, so we'll get ready for that. Um, <laughs> we need to be able to welcome it to the extent that we can use it, that it becomes a uh, viable tool for us, that we can use it to further our own growth, our own seeking, and our own service as we progress into the fourth density and hopefully beyond. Now, excuse the sound of the papers there, but I had to go to page two. Um, now, there's also some more information that Rod talks about as to why we would want to uh, balance. And, and Austin covered the first part of this, but in order to make this coherent, I'll recover it. Mm -hmm. To begin to master the concept of mental discipline, it is necessary to examine the self. The polarity of your dimension must be internalized. Where you find patience within your mind, you must consciously find the corresponding impatience and vice versa. Each thought of being has, has in its turn an antithesis. The disciplines of the mind involve, first of all, identifying both those things of which you approve and those things of which you disapprove within yourself, and then balancing each and every positive and negative charge with its equal. The mind contains all things. Therefore, you must discover this completeness within yourself. You are part of the Creator, and you are complete. Even though you might be unbalanced in some way or other in various energy centers, you are still whole and perfect, and you still have the potential to be totally one with the Creator. 
Now, the second mental discipline is acceptance of the completeness within your consciousness. It is not for a being of polarity in the physical consciousness to pick and choose among attributes, thus building the roles that cause blockages and confusions in the already distorted mind complex. Each acceptance smooths part of the many distortions that the faculty you call judgment engenders. Judgment, I underline that. We have judgment, but we do not have understanding. So our judgment is likely going to be wrong time and time again. We cannot look at any action of any person at any time and judge it good or bad because we don't know what went into that action. We don't know what the motive was. We don't know what the potential outcome is. And that's true for us too. We do the best we can to grasp the situation that we're in and to move through it with as much harmony and love and equanimity as possible. But what we need to do, since we don't understand purely and completely what's going on, is we need to take every emotion that moves us away from that finely tuned compassion and balance it with its antithesis. That doesn't mean we're ever going to carry out uh, the negative emotions uh, in actuality. Hopefully we won't. But mentally, we need to do that. We need to observe all the emotions that come our way and go through our being. We need to think about them. We need to balance them. And we need to seat them within our being so that we can be able to accept the love-like intelligent energy of the one creator on a daily basis, on a constant basis, and eventually crystallize our energy centers so that we can become able to be harvested and be of greater service to the creator and those about us. Any final thoughts or additional thoughts from either one of you on the topic of balancing? There was a rare moment when uh, all three of us had um, lengthy answers. Usually Jim is shorter, but uh, I must uh, tip my hat to both of you guys. Brilliant replies. I, we obviously um, work together and relate to each other uh, all the time, but it still doesn't preclude the possibility that I could be blown away by something you guys say. So thank you both very much. No further thoughts from me. How about you, Austin? Uh, nope, not from me. I echo Gary's uh, sentiment. Mm. Uh, very privileged to be on this podcast with both of you. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. Just kidding. It's acceptable. <laughs> okay, uh, Kyle versus email. I started this journey of seeking really only two years ago. Until I found the raw materials by way of David Wilcock, I felt that there was something missing in my life. I grew up staunchly religious, a Lutheran, and messages as dictated from the church seemed antithetical to what I felt in my core. Since finding the raw materials and the substantive materials through Quo and other messengers, I can say that I feel this so deeply in my being. However, this has been such a leap for me, my programming was too strong, that it's been hard to recenter and ground myself in the teachings without wondering about cloudy corners or cliffs I might accidentally fall off of due to my own misunderstanding and seemingly lack of cohesion with others in the world. I guess what I'm wondering is how you all got to a place where you felt fully invested into this path. What happened in your lives that brought you to this place of knowing? I wonder this only because I feel alone in this journey physically, and knowing how you all came to where you are would help me, just the knowing of it. I'm not sure that makes much sense, but I'm not saying that I doubt the path I'm on. I'm just wanting to hear someone else's story. Is that something you can share, specifically Austin and Gary, since there's so much written on the founders, who well, I don't know Jim's story at all. I don't know if this is important or uh, unimportant detail that attracts from messages, but personally, I'm curious as to how you got where you are and how it's changed your life. 
And Gary, how would you like to share your story with Kyle? Well, heads up to the listener that we'll probably go a little bit longer on this show because I have a um, a little bit longer reply to this because I couldn't help but respond to one aspect of Kyle's question before launching into my own description of, of my reflection of my story. And that is, uh, firstly, if I may speak to um, Kyle's apprehension, which is uh, not uncommon one, uh, by making a couple comments. Um, Kyle, you definitely have misunderstanding. You, you definitely have blind spots, and you are definitely going to make what you could call missteps. But you are not alone in this regard. Uh, this is true for every person on the planet. And personally, I have misunderstanding. I have blind spots. I have made tons of missteps in the past and expect tons more in the years to come. To um, The word human is synonymous with um, exactly that. To be human is to err. <clears throat> As Ross said, without the potential for misunderstanding, there would be no potential for understandings. So uh, spiritual evolution, in my understanding, is not about ridding yourself of these qualities. It is not even about getting it right, per se, or about attaining perfect understanding or knowledge. It is about trusting yourself, trusting where you are, trusting who you are. It's about leaping into the unknown and having faith that you are on the right track. Why is this helpful? Because when you trust that no matter what road you take, you cannot make a mistake, your vision is not being clouded by fear, by consuming worry, by gnawing self-doubt, or by a self-attacking judgment. You are able to make discerning choices more clearly. And this trust and acceptance doesn't mean that you sit inertly in negative circumstances. It just means, as I was saying, that your vision is not clouded. It is the, I would contend, it is the human programming that you identify within you that says, be worried, be afraid, be apprehensive, don't fuck it up. It is your heart. It is the creator within you that says all is well. You are perfect as you are. To that worried portion of you, which I share in common with you, I would reorient the attention to focus upon keeping on. Keep refining your desire. Keep returning your attention to love. Keep seeking opportunities of responding to the call of service. And keep finding your highest and best and release all the self-judgment. Now, um, to get to what was actually the heart of his question, sorry for the... <clears throat> that prelude. So regarding how I got to where I am, um, I mentioned that I have misunderstandings and blind spots. So let me assure you that I don't know how I keep my head glued together some days. I am not infrequently overwhelmed by the great variety of catalysts that needs juggle every day. This world really overwhelms me at times. And, and I find ample opportunity for worry, fear, and anxiety. I find countless moments of forgetting the principles of spiritual evolution as my vision becomes entrapped in the world of shape and shadow, the world of lower chakra blockage, where concerns for security, safety, self-identity, health, happiness, and so forth rule the day. That said, I realized this year that um, over 50% of my life now has been spent upon the path of spiritual seeking. I awoke, as it were, uh, at 18 years old. And I look back upon my life and I see an identifiable arc of evolution. Since awakening, I have grown leaps and bounds in self-understanding and self-acceptance. In retrospect, it's clear that one identity died as a new, more authentic one slowly emerged. 
And probably one of my own greatest challenges and source of catalysts on this journey has been a lack of self-acceptance. I used to be viciously hard on myself with self-judgment, a quality that tied into enormous social anxiety. Early on in my spiritual path, I used to be almost crippled in social situations. And nowadays, I still uh, feel residuals of that energy and will often avoid social situations where I don't know people. But I've grown significantly more comfortable in my own skin, more able to communicate my thoughts and feelings, more able to be with others, more able to love, and more able to be me. How did I get here? Um, Identifying cause and effect isn't so easy for me. I can't pinpoint one moment or one activity and then link it to results. Uh, rather, I can speak to a long trajectory of determined seeking. And in that trajectory, I can see incremental but steady growth. Beyond the initial moments of the path, especially discovery of the Law of One books, there were no like real glorious breakthroughs where I said, suddenly, aha, I see, or I'm at the next level. Uh, there's only a looking back and seeing, my God, I have changed so much. And I just kept following my lights, um, putting one foot in front of the other. There have been countless moments over the years um, that I, what I would call, deviate from the path. That is, um, focus on distraction or self-gratification or intoxicants at the expense of spiritual discipline. But for me, it's been literally impossible to forget my seeking overly long. Um, no matter which way I face, no matter which direction I travel in the moment, my inner compass will always reorient me to my North Star, the goal and heart of my path. And along that road, there are so many tools that help um, all of which you've probably come across or know already in your heart of hearts, um, principally among them meditation, of course. Um, I, I don't think there's anything more powerful or potent in our own hands to affect our self-transformation or to deal with exactly what you're describing than meditation. Um, and then connection or working with other spiritual seekers, uh, study of spiritual material, and self-investigation, finding and strengthening my desire, my will, and my faith, all of it perhaps falling under the umbrella of discipline and sustained effort over the long term. That, and I'm about to close here, um, that which will transpire in your life is a function of your desire and that disciplined. Find it, grab hold of it, aim it, exercise that desire slowly, steadily, quietly, and with keyword persistence. This is not the work of a day or a week or a year, but a lifetime. We are each on a very long journey. And where you are right now, Kyle, is where you need to be. It is perfect. There are no mistakes. So keep digging within and find out what it is you truly want. And I promise you, the road will meet you right there, precisely there. It is a perfect mathematical and creative relationship between your will, desire, and faith, and that which manifests in your life. And thank you for the very good question. Back to you, host. Good job, Gary. Okay, Austin, you're on. How has your journey been going for you? Um, I appreciate Gary's willingness and open sharing and articulate nature of his question, or his answer. Uh, my answer will probably not be quite as articulate. Um, but uh, to give some background uh, to my own journey, before I came to the Law of One, I was... A staunch atheist 
um, sort of how Kyle grew up staunchly religious. Um, I think that being staunchly atheist is very similar. Um, but uh, that sort of painted my journey to becoming comfortable. And I wouldn't say that uh, comfortable is necessarily the right way to frame it. But um, I went through a very similar experience as Kyle uh, is going through, at least at the point that he wrote this question, of feeling uh, very lost and um, feeling ungrounded and like he might fall off a cliff. And uh, I, when I went through my own awakening, I thought that I was going crazy. And um, I thought all of my friends were going to abandon me. I thought that this world was going to cast me out because uh, this transformation I was going through almost felt like uh, it was um, liberating and a ultimately positive thing in my life, but it just felt so alien to me that I thought that I was uh, going to be a completely unrecognizable being in the eyes of everybody else as well as myself. Um, so to find some grounding again as a staunch atheist and somebody who appreciated and still appreciates a strong skepticism and um, investigation and evidence-based um, beliefs and evidence-based uh, findings, I went through a series of investigations myself uh, into both the spiritual path as well as the idea of channeling and the type of spirituality that awoke within me. So uh, basically I used my skeptic attitude to um, attack this problem. And my initial, since it was channeling that woke me up essentially, my initial investigation was into channeling. I spent a good year, maybe two, just absorbing as much channeling information as I could uh, that I found online. And uh, a result of that uh, mainly being realizing that a lot of channeled information uh, is either repeating the same thing or would be uh, sort of negatively tainted, as Ra might put it, has a lot of uh, things that indicate uh, a mixed contact. But um, through this investigation, I found enough uh, common themes within channeling, uh, similar to what Don found, I think, at the beginning, uh, as indicated in Secrets of the UFO, that uh, there is a common theme among all these messages. So there is something um, objective about it, which is sort of the you know, goal of the skeptic, of the material objectivist, is to find an, an objective quality to these things. So I did that, and I had my own experiences with channeling that sort of indicated the same thing. And um, that eased my wariness a little bit. Uh, and then I just uh, started applying these spiritual practices to my life and seeing the results, especially of the uh, things I learned from the raw material, but feeling the results and seeing the results of what I found in the Law of One and um, realizing through experience that I wasn't becoming some unrecognizable alien being that was going to be uh, considered just wacko crazy. Uh, instead, I felt more comfortable in my own skin, like Gary was talking about. I started feeling um, like I could actually relate to the world on a deeper level uh, rather than lose my relationship to the world. 
Um, just living that life and applying it and experiencing it helped me find my grounding. And a big part of this was like Gary was talking about a lot of meditation. I think I have never meditated more than those first two years of my awakening. And I think I really needed it, especially then. Um, I would sometimes come home from work and meditate for like an hour and a half almost every single day. And uh, it was, I think that attributed contributed a lot to my finding my grounding again and feeling like I maybe wasn't going crazy. And uh, another thing that uh, helped me feel more grounded was um, branching out and finding other types of spirituality that aren't so out there as the kind that we deal with, that isn't uh, speaking to aliens, essentially. Um, I found a spiritual system that felt more grounded in my own belief system of skepticism and um, evidence, and that was in the work of uh, Ken Wilber and Integral Institute and um, the works of uh, Carl Jung uh, and things like that. Uh, those are more relatable to society, so those helped me feel like I wasn't going crazy. But the primary point, I think, is something that Gary touched on and in, in is that um, I don't think that we're necessarily meant to feel completely at ease and completely grounded on this path. Uh, Kyle even talks about uh, wondering about cloudy corners or cliffs that he might accidentally fall off of, and I think that uh, that is an interesting analogy because the tarot card, the Fool, a lot of modern interpretations of that tarot card have the fool dancing towards the edge of a cliff that he might fall off of. And uh, Ra talks about how essentially the fool is the role that we're playing on our spiritual path. We don't know that there might be a cliff in front of us, and it's an act of faith to continue on the path despite that. And I don't know what happens to the fool uh, 15 seconds after the depiction on that card, but I don't think he falls off and he dies. Um, but I think that the whole point is that uh, it's a cultivation of faith. Uh, as the fool walking this path, there are cliffs, and um, we don't know where the next step might lead, but taking that step is an, an act of faith, and um, cultivating that faith is sort of the uh, hallmark of the spiritual path. Uh, that's, uh, I think, the most I would have for Kyle. How about you, Jim? Well, let's see. I... Uh didn't have a, a, a unique, conscious, independent thought until I was 21 years old. I was what you would call a late bloomer. I uh, just followed the uh, expectations of my mom and dad and went through most of the way through college with the idea that I would join the company that my dad worked for as a grocery store manager. And then um, 1968 rolled around and the Vietnam War and Something happened. I'm not sure. It might have been something in the water. Um, I started thinking for myself, and uh, there was, of course, the hippie revolution. I had to partake in that, and that opened up lots of doors. Uh, some of them were uh, drug-induced, and I remember one especially. Um, I heard this voice inside my head, and it said, you don't have to be stoned to be here. I thought that was interesting. So at the time, I was in uh, Florida in teacher court trying to uh, work with inner city kids and uh, get another degree on the way towards who knew what. Um, and I decided that uh, I didn't really want to teach. 
my life uh, up to that point seemed to be a, a decision of not to do this, not to do that. I didn't want to uh, go into business, and so I, I, I didn't uh, pursue my business degree in economics. And I thought maybe sociology, so I got a sociology major. And not, no, don't want to do that either. So I went into teacher corps, and uh, well, no, I don't want to teach either. A lot of people would see that as failures, and I saw them as perfect steps along the path because it got me where I was going, I think. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure it did. Then I ended up in Colorado at a Adventure Trail Survival School learning a technique of self-therapy called brain self-control, which would eventually, if you uh, worked with dreams and essaying and neurodramas, help uh, get the energy of the brain naturally into the frontal lobes where it wants to go. If you could just get rid of those blockages, you got in the way. So that was a very, very uh, life-changing experience. So I decided to try to do the same thing that uh, my teacher there had done. He had the philosophy, each one teach one. So uh, he invited and advised people to go get their own pieces of land and start their own school. So that's how I got in central Kentucky, bought some land and built a log cabin and lived there for a few years and started my own school and had a couple of classes. And no big breakthroughs for my students, so I guess they, they needed a better teacher. Um, then I heard Don and Carla on the radio, and uh, a year later I had a chance to meet them. And uh, after about a year of coming to their meditations, I joined them. And uh, it wasn't too much longer after that that uh, the raw contact started. And that was certainly a life-changing experience. It continues to change my life to this day. I, I got to tell you, um, Kyle, I have no idea how that ever happened. I don't know if there's anything that really got me there. Um, I am so blessed by that experience, I can hardly believe I was part of it. So I think that if, if you just do what Gary was suggesting, I think Austin was too, just follow the path that's right in front of you right now. You have made plans before this incarnation for how you want to grow and what you want to learn and how you want to serve. Trust me, they're all there in place and they're developing as they should. So just do what you're doing and keep your eyes and your heart open and all will be well because all is well. Any final thoughts on this topic, guys? Not for me. I wanted to, um, what Austin said prompted me to offer one more thought about my own path and um, in describing the, the sense of being lost or feeling lonely. Um, that is very common among wanderers. In my own path, as I transitioned from one world to the next, as Austin described his own transition, um, all my values um, and priorities changed. I went from like being a very social person to hibernating in my bedroom, um, living with my parents, and um, questioning things. And it, it was only in retrospect that I can put make any kind of sense of it but during those times it was a it was a long dark night and it was difficult and it was painful and you know i could reach out and call anybody i wanted to but i no longer felt connected even to my own family uh, for a while that that had to be reintegrated later on and um to this day it's 2016 and i'm 36 years old and i've been studying the law of one for 16 years and have been immersed in this LL research world and have met the most beautiful people and have a network of family and friends. But to this day, I, I get stuffed into little dark corners inside where I feel kind of cosmically alone here in this world. And it's a pretty terrible, terrible feeling. Um, and things just don't make sense. Um, so those things tend to revisit the seeker throughout their life, no matter how much spiritual work they've done. But um, if you if you 
do some research on the concept of faith in the Confederation channeling. You'll see a concept repeated again and again about how the function of third density is to intentionally confuse you, <laughs> is to so spin you around that you don't know up from down. And it's only in that place of confusion and disorientation that you can turn to faith and, and take that leap into the unknown and, and say, even though my mind can't make sense of things, even though I'm not exactly sure um, which way to go, I am just without, without evidence, without qualification, um, I'm just going to jump and trust that all is well. And then out of that courageous act um, flows your life comes the next step and the next and it is through that act that support comes too and then that you begin to find your balance and your feet again so uh, that's all i wanted to add uh, austin or jim any more thoughts for for kyle i think that's all for me all right uh, uh now that i think about it there is one, one more quick thing i wanted to bring into this episode but um if you guys don't mind i left it downstairs uh so just keep recording and one second, I'll get it. Now. Okay. Okay. We'll uh, we'll keep recording the uh, the silence. Yeah. <laughs> allow listeners a chance to meditate. Well, you know that maybe Gary's just involved in another type of balancing. You know, is that forgetfulness and remembering? <laughs> we'll we'll see. This is probably going to be a really good piece that he's got here, though, because having to run downstairs to get it, you know, it's it's a lot of work to go to get a thought that's. I guess it's written on a piece of paper. I guess. Uh, he's in the kitchen, so. He's in the kitchen. Maybe. Oh, uh, he, he probably got hungry. <laughs> he decided to go down and get something to eat here. Happy 50 episodes oh. to you. Happy 50 episodes to you. Happy 50 episodes to Austin or us. Happy 50 episodes to you. And many more. So let me take the mic for a second. This is Gary Austin's mic. If we do decide not to cut this out, and I hope we don't, um, this is our 50th episode at In the Now. And um, it's pretty much Austin that keeps this that manages the show and keeps it running. Um, he collects questions from seekers, responds to seekers. He um, keeps them all in a database, arranges them for us uh, for the show. He does the recording. He does the publishing to the website. He does the summaries and, and everything else. And all Jim and I have to do is show up and reply to questions. So on our 50th episode, we surprise Austin with a cake to say thank you. So um, a round of applause from everybody listening for Austin. I think we got Austin speechless. Okay, folks, you have been listening to LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our website, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thanks so much for listening, and a special thank you to those who submitted questions. If you'd like to send us a question for the next show, please read the instructions on our page, www.llresearch.org forward slash. And please know that we love you all. We hope that you have a great week. We hope you're getting in the holiday spirit. I hope all your Christmas shopping is done and your decorations are up and you can sit back and relax. New episodes are going to be published to the archive website every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Have a wonderful week. Love you all. Oh.